TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. Thanks for joining me on Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. This week, Master Trooper Deanna Pekanski with Troop P. Wilkesbury will be here. It's time to sign up for their upcoming Camp Cadet. It's National Kidney Awareness Month. Kathleen Belmont, Chief Nursing Officer at Fresenius Medical Care North America, and Maria Jimenez, a kidney transplant recipient and current kidney care advocate, have what you need to know. It's also Brain Awareness Week. Dr. Blaze Baxter, interventional neuroradiologist with the Lehigh Valley Health Network is here. And he's going to tell us about a procedure that is a clotbuster lifesaver. We'll also meet the mayor of Williamsport, Derek Slaughter. He recently took part at the National League of Cities Congressional City Conference and has many exciting things to bring back to Billtown. But first, the snow is melting and the winter trash is showing. Greg Griffin, chairman of the Luzerne County Blight Committee, is here, and he says you don't need an organized group to start a cleanup right in your own backyard. Greg, welcome. Nice to have you here. Spring right around the corner. And yes, the snow is melting or in many areas already gone. And we're seeing litter. How are you involved in all of this litter cleanup, not put down? Paula, yes, we, we've organized a group of great citizens that uh, over the last three years, every Saturday, we've been out uh, in the neighborhoods uh, in Wyoming Valley and on the highways. We usually go out for about two hours and we make it fun. PennDOT in the city of Wilkes-Barre and their local communities, they help us with the bags and materials and they pick up all the bags we pick up of litter. So it's been pretty active last three years. And of course, there's so much work to be done as far as litter. People might be hearing this and saying, well, I've never heard of that before. How do I get involved? Can you give them that information too? Our name is Luzerne County Citizens Blight Committee, Blight. Uh, B-L-I-G-H-T. And we consider litter, of course, blight. And we've been working very closely with uh, a lot of municipalities in addressing uh, litter and blight. The average citizen can get involved. If you live in Wilkes-Barre, we've worked very closely with Mayor Brown, and uh, he's organized 22, so, so far, 22 block captains who have their own little crew, and the city's providing them with materials and picking up the, the trash. And it's at the block captain's own speed. So We'd like to have 44 block captains in Wilkes-Barre. And it's, I think Mayor Brown's going to get that eventually. So 
we're encouraging all the all of Luzerne County citizens to uh, not necessarily meet us out on the side of the road on a Saturday to be your own team and go out in front of your house 10 feet each way and pick up the litter. It sounds like an easy thing to do. And it sounds like you're getting a lot of people involved. But Greg, I think it also sounds like you're not stopping because there's still more litter out there. Is that correct? Absolutely. I address council, Luzerne County Council and Wilkesbury Council on the pitfalls of, of litter on our highways and our communities. And I'm trying to get Luzerne County Council members to realize that where you see litter, crime is not far behind. When you see blighted neighborhoods, littered neighborhoods, that's usually higher crime neighborhoods. We have to get the litter cleaned up. It's a crime issue. I I believe it's, it definitely attracts crime if you have a, a, a trashed up neighborhood. When you're talking about litter, and especially uh, coming up in April, the folks at PennDOT do have do start off their highway litter cleanup campaigns. So when you're talking about litter, are you looking at big items? Are you looking at or just tossing a candy wrapper instead of throwing it in the garbage as you walk out of the store? It's both. I mean, we have piles of mattresses sometimes on our cleanups and uh, refrigerators and it's it's incredible the what's happening to our streams and our wildland nature lands and uh, and right on the highways you see mattresses and we're trying to get the fines increased also through legislative action for uh, illegal dumpers which is absolutely incredibly ruining Luzerne County. We're going to shift gears just a little bit because it's not only the blight that you are involved in. You're also, which is helping out people, of course, but you're helping out in other ways. And insulation has become part of your helping out. What's all that about? Paula, when it's winter out and it's very cold and, and you know, there's snow on the highways, we can't find litter. We've actually gone into senior citizens and needy, needy people's basements and doing a Band-Aid approach as far as helping insulate uh, and we've had tremendous support from contractors and citizens helping us with gift cards. And we've been able to purchase insulation and whatnot. And we're helping the senior citizens. We did 25 basements this winter, 22 last winter. It's tragic. I mean, some of these basements, you can go in these senior citizens' homes and you can actually look outside. So we plug those holes quick. And uh, it's usually just two or three of us on the team. We enjoy it. It's it's fun. And it's, it only takes about 30 minutes to do a basement. We don't really have a web page. We post on all social media sites like Wilkesbury Crime Watch, Hanover Township Crime Watch, uh, Nanny Cook, Uncensored Crime Watch, uh, and, and probably 10 other social sites, Swartersville, Back Mountain. We post with pictures of what we did uh, last Saturday. Or, and w- we do it to inspire people. We We don't do it to get any more volunteers because... I cannot safely take care of 30 people on the Cross Valley Expressway. We usually go up on the Cross Valley Expressway or Sansui or 309 Mountaintop or Larksville Route 11 by Kmart uh, with five or six of us with vests and signs. Again, we post to inspire people to do things on their own. Because they don't need a big group to clean up their own neighborhood just as they're walking down the street from their car to their house, they might be able to help out. And I'm going to go one step further now. Did I see you doing a community garden? We were able to purchase a vacant blighted property from Mayor Brown in the city for $1,500. 
And uh, 445 South River Street, uh, we had a great garden last year, which we gave all the produce to the neighbors, and the neighbors are very supportive. But our theory is if we can get more vacant city, blighted city properties and make more gardens out of them, it restores faith in the in the community by the neighbors by getting them involved. And so uh, we are using 445 South River Street uh, as a second year now as an example of what Wilkes-Barre City can do to eliminate blighted city properties that they can't sell. Exactly. But there's still a way for it to be beneficial to a neighborhood. And with all of the different things that you have been involved in, again, I think it's great because people might not even realize that you're out there. But I like the idea of the message that you don't need me. You can do this on your own. Absolutely. It's it's an army that's more people are getting inspired. And, you know, there's a lot of depression. And, you know, we all get depressed. And the best way to fight depression is to go do something productively. Like, even if it's like take a, a, a little bag and come back with some litter that was in front of your neighborhood or in front of your house. And uh, if we do not address litter, crime is moving in. Uh, what happens is you get a you get litter, then you get a tire on your tree lawn and then an old couch and then a junk car. And pretty well, you lost your neighborhood. Can't let that happen. And it's just simple things that you can do in order to help that along. So you're taking very good care of Mother Earth and also part of Mother Earth is water. And now you've expanded, Greg. How did you get involved with the Wyoming Valley Sanitary Authority? Quite frankly, I, I was very resistant to the stormwater fee, the rain tax. But I decided that if you can't beat them, join them. And I did apply for the uh, Wyoming Valley Sanitary Authority Clean Water Advisory Committee, which they did select me. I want to be able to show the people that if you're paying a stormwater fee, there's good things going to come of it, like cleaner creeks and streams and uh, rivers. I want to be a positive force. If you can't beat them, join them. I'm all about problems and solutions. So what do you hope that you can bring to the authority. Well, my experience with working with Bobby Hughes within Camper uh, and cleaning up the streams and of litter and illegal dumps. Oh, it's incredible how much the streams are clogged with litter and whatnot. And uh, my experience on the advisory committee on uh, what we've been able to do, what needs to be done, and some trouble spots. Like we, I could probably show them two or three creeks right now that need help from the stormwater funds. And as they say, we all live downstream, so it's a good place to start in your area and clean things up so that it doesn't go down into the other area. Well, before Definitely. before I have to let you go, can you wrap it up for our listeners? Because, again, I'm sure many of them are hearing for the first time that there is a Luzerne County Citizens Blight Committee and where they can go and find out information for any of the things I know you said volunteers, but people don't need you to be a volunteer. And explain how that works as well. Great, Paula. Well, my, my number is 570-239-6244. 570-239-6244. Anyone that wants to start very small, I could help get them bags and uh, we'll get them going. And, you know, uh, we'll work with the municipal authorities to make sure the bags of litter they f- is picked up. We want more teams out there more block captains, and all throughout Wyoming Valley and Luzerne County. So that's what our vision is, that our little team 
of people that keep showing up every Saturday. We're going to be cleaning up Back Road in Suarezville. There's only going to be three or four of us. That's a real big eyesore, Back Road, Suarezville. And then we're going to be working with Councilman Marconi in Wilkes-Barre on Johnson Street off North Main. That's a real trouble spot. So every Saturday we pick a location. What we're telling new members, if you do call and get a hold of me on social media, is don't come where we are. We'll come where you are. If you have a a, a spot in Back Mountain that's a, a, a Chase Road, for instance, we'll come with our trash cans and bags. And uh, you as a new volunteer with two or three friends, will make a good two hours of it. So we don't leave people hanging, but we encourage people to do things on their own. But we will come out and get you started. How's that? <laughs> that sounds like an invitation. And one of the other things I'll say is when people are starting to do their outdoor walking, take along a bag and pick it up when you see it. Absolutely. Uh, we have to get these people that are throwing trash out of their cars. We have to get them uh, fined, heavily fined. And we're working right now on if you pull up to a stream and dump tires out of a pickup truck, that the pickup truck gets seized temporarily, of course. But, you know, uh, it could be three months storage fees and a lot until the adjudication is over with. But if you're dumping couches and garbage in nature lands, we want your pickup truck. And that's a big incentive maybe not to do it because these fines are not scaring these illegal dumpers. And we're going to try and get the legislators to make it uh, on the crimes code. Uh, one of the penalties besides the monetary. Other states are doing it. They take the truck immediately. And it could be four months before the guy gets it back if he ever. But the, that's the choice they have they make when they decide to ruin our nature lands and the sides of our roads. Thanks again to Greg Griffin, chairman of the Luzerne County Blight Committee. And it doesn't take a group, just one person, to start picking up some litter. Next on Special Edition, meet the mayor of Williamsport, Derek Slaughter. He just attended the National League of Cities Congressional City Conference and is excited to get back and bring all great information to Williamsport. And he also has a shout out for one of our Northeast Pennsylvania mayors, too. First of all, let me welcome you, since this is the first opportunity that I've had to say congratulations in your position. And now here, here you are, the mayor of Williamsport, and you're attending the National League of Cities. Why did you feel important for Williamsport to be represented there for this particular meeting? There's obviously uh, numerous reasons, but the uh, you know the Congressional City Conference gives a, gives me and gives you know my colleagues uh, across not just the Commonwealth but across the country a chance to meet with with federal agencies, members of Congress, other experts to learn about the best practices for using. The federal investments, obviously, uh, the rescue plan and then uh, the bipartisan infrastructure law uh, that was recently put into place. And so meeting with my colleagues here uh, in D.C., it's really just a, a phenomenal opportunity to learn from them and bring new ideas and best practices and resources uh, back to Williamsport. And it also gives gives me an opportunity to advocate on behalf of Williamsport on a national level. So it's just been a, a fantastic few days here in the nation's capital um, and really a chance just to uh, to collaborate with, with all my colleagues from across the, the nation and, and bring what I'm learning back to Williamsport. What have you learned? Well, wow, there's a lot. So talking about our rescue plan dollars, uh, the best investments back into the city, uh, learned a lot about the, the infrastructure law and had a chance to, to meet with folks on that. Looking at affordable housing, so we were connected to resources 
to really, we just created a land bank in Williamsport. Uh, so there was a session related to uh, not just affordable housing, but workforce housing uh, and what they were calling obtainable housing uh, and the resources and, and ways in which the, the best practices to make that happen uh, in, in your community. So I'm very, I'm very committed in Williamsport to blight remediation, rehabbing and repurposing of structures or vacant properties and vacant land. And so just being able to connect with that, learn uh, from others uh, on a national level, what they're doing in their community, what's working, what's not working uh, related to those issues. Uh, and so it's just been, it, it's been phenomenal uh, to really just connect with folks. We, we discussed uh, transportation, uh, broadband, water infrastructure, on and on and on, flood mitigation. Uh, so just really, it's been a great learning experience. It's a, you know, it's been a great conference and I'm, I'm looking forward to today. I mean, we're just getting started this morning again with, with more sessions all day today. And so I'm really looking forward to just, you know, gaining more knowledge uh, as we close out the conference and bringing all that back to Williamsport. It's a lot to pack into two days. <laughs> it is, it is, it is. It's just uh, a ton of information uh, in a short amount of time, but it's really it's just been very, very enriching and, and just phenomenal information and just, you know, the opportunity to correct, connect with our partners at the federal level that, that we don't get a chance to see uh, a whole lot, um, particularly their staffers. Uh, and so that was, it was good to connect with them and, and, you know, uh, my mayor, my mayoral colleagues across the country that, you know, we see on zoom or things of that nature finally after two years, uh, get to connect with them again in person. Uh, it's just been, it's been a great time. Many people will say Williamsport, Luzerne County, Lackawanna County, you know, what does all this have to do and what do we have in common with any of these other cities, as you said, the other mayors from other cities around the country? Did you find any common ground? You know, we were talking about this last night. Our issues are all very, very similar. The The main difference is how many commas we have in our population. So whether it's public safety or public works or recreation or infrastructure or housing, uh, we're all facing very similar challenges. It's just really uh, the scale, uh, obviously, is different. So, you know, Williamsport might have a much a smaller scale, relatively speaking, to Miami or Los Angeles. Uh, but at the same time, then, you know, we had a small cities sessions too, where it's all very similar populations uh, in our cities and very similar challenges. And so, you know, whether I'm, I'm speaking with a mayor from a large city or I'm speaking with a mayor from a similar sized city, we're still working on implementing very similar uh, initiatives. And so that's been, that's been great. And, you know, I think one of the key points is local leaders, we know what we need and we know how to get the job done and infrastructure, for example, we know that's a, that's a job worth doing. And that when that infrastructure law was passed, I mean, that's going to have transformative investments in transportation, broadband, water, and that's all heading to the communities of all sizes. And so when we are able to get together, all the mayors from all different size cities, but we know this is coming to us and we can discuss how we plan to implement it. Other mayors who, you know, some of the larger cities who may have, maybe a little bit of a jumpstart on this because they have a larger staff, we can learn from them about what's working, what isn't working. Uh, but either way, as we rebuild and recover, uh, these funds, it's going to increase equity. It's going to create safer transportation options. Um, and it's, you know, really it's going to build uh, more resilient communities and strengthen our economy. And it's really, 
And for some folks, for many folks, it's going to be life-changing um, for, for Williamsport and communities all across the country. You know, a lot of us were facing a list of long overdue projects uh, that in many cases didn't have the funding uh, to be able to do. And now this is this funding is, is going to allow us to get those done. And it's going to, you know, strengthen the infrastructure that keeps our communities growing, uh, attracts business and industry, economic development, uh, and, and really keeps Williamsport and the Commonwealth and our country moving forward. Uh, in a positive direction. So we're, I'm very excited. I know, you know, speaking to many of my colleagues here in, in D.C., we're all extremely excited about the, the opportunities coming our way. And here you are, the new kid on the block, the young kid mm-hmm. on the block. I am. Who, I am. Who, uh, who, also, who also has his roots where he is now the mayor. So just from mm-hmm. your own perspective, from Derek's perspective, Kind of exciting mm-hmm. to be amongst all these people and realize that you can bring all this great information back to where you grew up. It is, you know, it's very, it's very uh, humbling to to be here in D.C. advocating on behalf of of Williamsport and connecting with, you know, as I said, with with colleagues from from around the Commonwealth. You know, there's a there's a number of, of folks here from your area, NEPA, Northeast PA, and. Uh, you Mayor Sirachi, who's a very good friend of mine from Lancaster, she's here. Mayor Panto from from uh, Easton, and so it was really just it's great. And then you know, like I said, the my mayoral colleagues that I've been able to connect with around the country the last few years via Zoom. Uh, but it's really it, it is it's a sense of uh, the sense of gratitude, I guess, to to lead Williamsport and then come to a conference such as this, the Congressional City Conference here in D.C. and and just really be around so many. Uh, quality folks that are doing so many uh, amazing things for the community and get a chance to to interact with them and learn from them uh, and just really see how we can continue to move our cities forward. So, you know, and I bring that back to Williamsport, the community where I was born and raised, and now I, I have the opportunity uh, to lead Williamsport as the mayor. It's just been, you know, it's it's difficult to put in words, but it's it's been incredible. Uh, it's been an incredible two days. And, you know, I'm really excited to get back to Williamsport to start to implement what I've learned here uh, and run it by our team and see how, you know, we're going to take the the ideas from this conference and really get, you know, put them to work in Williamsport and get our, get some of the projects completed that, that are going to, they're going to be transformational for Williamsport. And a lot of these, when, when all of us here go back to our communities, it's going to be transformational for, for our country. And, and really, as I as I mentioned a minute ago, I keep our local economies going and growing, uh, and our national economy as well. So it's it's just exciting from from economic development to housing to infrastructure to public safety to recreation. It's just so many uh, good ideas, so many great people, and I'm very like I said, I'm very humbled just to be a part of this, and uh, look forward to uh, to really implementing these these uh, projects and ideas over the next few years here, and continue to connect uh, even after this conference with with the folks that I've met here uh, that I didn't know before and the ones that I have known uh, to continue to, to connect with them and learn from them moving forward. It's, it's an amazing opportunity. Well, here's hoping that you are the inspiration and gets the next generation excited about politics, leadership, and they're able to follow your lead in the ensuing years so that people continue to have that interest because that's something that's sometimes very difficult to garner. So Mayor Slaughter, thank you so much for joining me today. And I certainly hope that you have a great rest of the time that you are in Washington, D.C. and stay safe. 
Thank, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for the interview. And uh, tell Mary Cognetti over in Scranton that I say hello. Thanks again to Williamsport Mayor Derek Slaughter for taking the time to chat during that National League of Cities Congressional City Conference in Washington. Next, Brain Awareness Week on Special Edition. Next on Special Edition, we meet Dr. Blaze Baxter, an interventional neuroradiologist with the Lehigh Valley Health Network. He tells us about Brain Awareness Week, in particular strokes and a new surgical procedure. Dr. Baxter, what is a stroke? Yeah, so great question, Paula, because I think there's some confusion, but really the, the meaning of stroke is that uh, anytime an area of the brain gets damaged, we call that damaged area a stroke, or the patient's had a stroke. There's different things that can damage the brain. The, the two big categories are you can have a bleed into an area of the brain, or you can more commonly, about 85% of the time, have a part of the brain that its blood supply has been cut off and the brain is not having the oxygen and necessary nutrients, so to speak, that it needs to survive. Does a person know that they are having a stroke? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, our brain, obviously, as we all know, is is kind of command and control center. So uh, when you lose part of that function, you start having uh, symptoms related to the area of the brain that's affected. And so, yeah, so, so we really train people, and I hope for those listening that, uh, you know, if they remember anything, they remember this part that uh, stroke is a medical emergency, and then to recognize that, we use a little acronym uh, called FAST. So if someone has uh, symptoms of facial drooping um, or arm or leg weakness, numbness, it comes on suddenly, that's the A of FAST. Uh, the S is if they're having speech difficulties, uh, that's, you know, comes on rapidly for them, garbled speech, uh, incomprehensible speech, or an inability to speak. Then it's time, the T is time to call EMS or activate 911. Uh, so that's very, very critical uh, that people are aware of the symptoms of stroke so that they can uh, get into medical treatment. Time is of the essence, and we've also heard that if you are within a window, sometimes there's a drug called TPA, which can be administered. How does that work? Correct. So, yeah, it's kind of a clot-busting drug. So we said that uh, strokes that aren't of the bleed side, but are more uh, of the, you know, a, a vessel being blocked and the brain being deprived of its blood supply, uh, then that's often from a, a, a little piece of clot that has gone up and plugged the brain vessels. And so TPA is one of the, the drugs that can be administered within a four and a half hour time slot from when patients start with their symptoms. Uh, but there's also some exciting new treatments and that's where I come in and colleagues that um, uh, even if you're beyond that four and a half window, um, you know, we can look at patients and see if we need to go in and remove that little clot that is blocking the blood vessel and return the blood supply. So that's a minimally invasive surgery, similar to, you know, people having a heart attack, uh, getting those heart vessels open, um, you know, with going in from a catheter approach. Um, you know, we do the same, a minimally invasive surgery to go into the brain vessels and open up um, those blocked vessels. And again, time is of the essence. And you are also involved with the Get Ahead of a Stroke campaign. And that isn't 
what we can do, but that is what hospitals and emergency responders can do. How does that all come about? When, you know, the, the, the prompting of uh, getting the Get Ahead of Stroke campaign going, and it's a, it's a great organization to help states, um, you know, recognize how they can improve, if you like, the flow of patients, uh, getting people to the right treatment centers when they're having a stroke. Um, you know, that happened a lot when uh, this new, if you like, or newest from a medical perspective, treatment came in for stroke that we're talking about where we go up and, and get the brain vessels open. So um, that campaign in, in several states across the country have already enacted and changed laws, but that campaign is directed at sort of helping um, states recognize that some of their um, organization at EMS level, you know, doesn't necessarily uh, align a patient to go to a treatment center where that procedure called a mechanical thrombectomy can be performed. And so we're helping the states to update, um, you know, their, their laws and, and EMS directions to get people, you know, to the correct treating centers as quickly as possible. And, and people are very familiar, obviously, uh, with the trauma model in, in the country. When people have an accident, uh, that's all organized for them from the different state levels that, you know, that they go to level one, level two, level three trauma centers based on how severe their injuries are. Uh, That's what we're trying to do uh, with stroke is get people again organized and, and get them to the correct treating center in the fastest time possible. And you mentioned the procedure and how would someone know then, or how would the hospital know that that's where the clot is? Because with uh, with TPA, it just goes throughout your body. But in this case, you're going to a specific area. Yeah. So so we have that's I guess the messaging is that if you know if someone has these symptoms, um, you know, unlike heart attack, where you know your chest is killing you, and you pretty much figure out, hey, I've got to go to a hospital. Sometimes patients or family members with stroke, if it's weakness or some numbness or something or some speech issues, uh, they may not prompt the uh, medical system through 911 quickly. Uh, But we want people to do that, you know, treat stroke as the same as a heart attack, activate 911, and then the medical experts, once you, you know, get into our system and the EMS people pick you up, then they, you know, look at symptoms that you're having and say, hey, this could be this emergent large vessel occlusion. So the type of people that we do the procedure on have, if you like, a bigger brain vessel that is blocked. And we take special CAT scans, et cetera, to, to figure that out. Okay, this is what's causing your stroke. And then we take them in, um, you know, and, and, and say, okay, you're either a candidate for the TPA, sometimes you're a candidate for TPA, and also our procedure, but but it's important that they get into the medical experts and 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 the EMS system, and that that's when the sorting out of you know what what is your best treatment uh, can occur. Is a person who has had a stroke likely or less likely or not known whether another one can occur? Yeah, you know, strokes affect all um, ages, uh, you know, demographics, uh, backgrounds. You know, a lot of people spend time talking about, you know, and, and thinking about rightly how we can prevent uh, stuff. But, but certainly, um, you know, strokes can be very unexpected. And, and uh, you know, I think of a, a young, uh, you know, just early 20s age college student that uh, 
presented to, uh, you know, Lehigh Valley um, uh, Hospital, so Cedar Crest Hospital in Allentown when I was there. And, uh, you know, she had just severe headache and, and was uh, having some dizziness. And then really over the next 24, 48 hours had uh, become comatose and unresponsive in her ICU. And the type of stroke that she was having was uh, kind of involving the, the vein system of, of her brain. And that was what was affecting her, her ability to have the, the right blood supply that she needed. So stroke, you know, affects, um, you know, all ages, uh, you, you know, and they said it's important that uh, the medical experts, you know, can kind of, you know, figure that out. An important part of our messaging is that uh, don't think that, okay, stroke is just something that happens to people that have had multiple you know, sort of warning strokes. And, and you know, it, it can, it can uh, you know, kind of unfortunately affect people, um, you know, very quickly and without any, if you like, predisposing, you know, factors. So, so you know, that's, uh, again, with brain awareness. Uh, we want to, you know, have people know just how prevalent stroke is in the country. And, and I, I have the pleasure of giving a lot of talks and stuff. And, and when we do that, you know, I always ask in an audience, okay, who here knows someone that has had a stroke or, or you know, and, and usually every hand goes up that somewhere, uh, you know, people can connect with people that have, have had strokes. So it's a very prevalent cause. It's the number one cause of disability in our country. It's one of the leading causes of death. And, and, and so... Um, you know, it's definitely, you know, important for people to know, um, you know, what those symptoms are and then to get into the, the medical system. That's Dr. Blaze Baxter, interventional neuroradiologist with the Lehigh Valley Health Network. Next, National Kidney Awareness Month on Special Edition. Now joining us on Special Edition, Kathleen Belmont, Chief Nursing Officer at Fersenius Medical Care North America, and Maria Jimenez, a kidney transplant recipient and current kidney care advocate. It is National Kidney Awareness Month. And I'm going to start off with exactly what I think a lot of people don't know is one in seven people have chronic kidney disease and don't know it. Kathleen, let's start with you. Why? Yeah, thanks so much, Paula. It is great to be here. So thank you for having us here to celebrate National Kidney Awareness Month. Um, but you're right. You're absolutely right. There are many, many people who have chronic kidney disease and are unaware because they do not have symptoms. Uh, as you may know, kidney disease progresses in five stages. So, you know, in the early stages of, say, CKD, chronic kidney disease one, two, or three, many people don't have symptoms that they're aware of. And so it's really, really important um, that we stay connected with our healthcare providers. If you have um, underlying diseases, comorbid diseases like high blood pressure or diabetes, it is particularly important that you are routinely being screened for chronic kidney disease because those two conditions account for about 75% of chronic kidney disease diagnoses. All right, Maria, how did you find out that you were having a kidney issue? Thank you, Paula. Well, I found out I had kidney failure when I was 23 years old. I did not know I had kidney disease. I actually just started experiencing symptoms uh, two weeks prior to ending up in the hospital. I started uh, feeling fatigue, um, my, my hands, my legs, my feet started to swell, um, you know, nausea, headaches, 
So I knew there was something going on. I just didn't know what it was. So I ended up in the ER uh, and they confirmed the diagnosis. I was in kidney failure and I started dialysis in the hospital. Um, once I was discharged, I was, I did uh, hemodialysis in a clinic and I was struggling a lot with this. I had to drop out of school. I had to quit my job because I was struggling with the schedule um, that I was receiving my treatments on. It was conflicting with my activities. So my care team at the dialysis center and my doctor were very encouraging uh, for me to consider home dialysis as they felt it would be more beneficial to my lifestyle. However, as it is with many other minority uh, communities, me coming from a Mexican household, I was very hesitant and had overall distrust in the healthcare system. Uh, but after about five years of doing um, in-center hemodialysis, I decided to transition to uh, home hemodialysis, which completely transformed my life. I started feeling better with more energy. My overall health uh, improved and um, I had more flexibility in my schedule, which allowed me to return to school and return to work. And I did home hemodialysis for about four years. And in 2017, very fortunate, very blessed that I was able to receive my kidney transplant, which has been working wonderful since then. That is amazing. And that is wonderful. You're absolutely right. Kathleen, is this something that is unusual? Because as Maria mentioned, Hispanic, are there some that are more apt to be uh, candidates for? Because I know you mentioned in the very beginning, some of the other symptoms, not symptoms, but some of the other uh, underlying conditions that people may have. But is this also a consideration? Yeah, I think, um, and that is a great uh, question, Paula. So definitely there are other risk factors besides, uh, for example, diabetes and hypertension. So people who have a previous family history of kidney disease or end-stage renal failure, some ethnic minorities, um, you will see that there's a higher prevalence as well. And I I think you just heard Maria's uh, story also. But it is important if you do have any of these uh, either underlying conditions of family history, uh, known risk factors, that you make sure that you are asking your doctor about some simple blood and urine tests that you can take to make sure you do not have chronic kidney disease. You heard Maria talk about she was in end-stage renal failure before she even realized that she had kidney disease. And that's you know far along in the progression. And so we want to make sure people are testing to make sure their kidneys are healthy if they are at higher risk. Maria, did you have any of the other underlying symptoms or now that you look back, any other early warnings that might have tipped you off before you actually realized what really was going on? Uh, you know, not that I recall. I was actually very active and, uh, you know, when I was in elementary, junior high, high school, I went into college playing sports. Um, so I only started, started to experience those symptoms two weeks prior to ending up in the hospital. So I had absolutely no clue. Uh, nobody in my family had kidney disease. Um, I even going into dialysis, I wasn't hypertensive. Um, I wasn't diabetic. So, um, certainly, uh, sneaked up on me. I had no clue what was going on. Wow, that is Kathleen. That's just that's just amazing. And now, one of the other things that people are contending with, and they're hearing they're hearing Maria's story, and perhaps because of the recent pandemic, we've put off 
a lot of routine medical procedures. We've uh, medical testing. So what do you want to say to people who, like Maria, might not even have an idea and yet figure, ah, I don't really need to worry about all my routines because I've gotten along this far. Yeah, I think that is a great, that's a great question, Paula. So uh, to your point, if you're like me, the last two years are basically a blur. I have not had, you know, my routine healthcare as I should be having. So I'm doing a lot of work to get back on track myself in 2022. But if, um, you know, you are at risk, early detection is critical. So all of those risk factors we talked about, um, you know, if you have a family history, you know, even um, people who are in over the age of 60 um, who, who have diabetes or high blood pressure, you should be definitely checking in with your health care provider, your primary care provider about those very simple routine tests that you can have to make sure that you do not have any sort of kidney disease. Um, and so it's important to do that to get connected again. I think things are definitely opening up and making that a bit easier to get uh, back on track. Certainly, if you do have uh, Paula, something like diabetes or high blood pressure, really, really important to uh, stay on track with testing your blood sugar, making sure your blood pressure is uh, staying at a good level, taking your medications if you take medications as prescribed, and making sure that you're you're exercising, you're back on track with a healthy diet, and all of those things to make sure you um, are staying well and healthy in 2022. So Maria, you have turned everything that you went through, which is still amazing to me, and now you're an advocate for others. What do you want those folks to know? You know, uh, for me, going through that transition, right, uh, in between instant transmodialysis was what inspired me to become an advocate. Um, being able to experience feeling better with more energy. So I wanted it to be able to share that with patients. Uh, one of my nurses at the home program introduced me with the idea of sharing my journey and be able to talk to patients and family members. Uh, so I really, really jumped on it uh, to be able to um, help others. You know, So this is why I became a kidney care advocate with Prestigious Kidney Care, because I want, I want to be able to educate all patients on all of their treatment options. I also want to be able to empower them and um, they can be uh, encouraged as well. I want them to know that even with the diagnosis of chronic kidney disease or even going into dialysis, it does not have to put a stop into their lifestyle. They can still thrive uh, with chronic kidney disease and with dialysis. Amazing. And Kathleen, where can folks go to find out more? Yes, absolutely. So um, a couple of takeaways, Paula. Again, if you or a loved one is at risk for TKD, has any of those conditions we talked about, please, please, please make sure you're being screened at least once a year for any evidence of TKD. We do have a lot of really great information about kidney disease and also your healthcare options on our landing page. So please visit ForsteniusKidneyCare.com. And Forsenius is F R E S E. N-I-U-S, kidneycare.com, all one word. And I know that's a mouthful. Um, But thanks, Paula. Lots of great information there for people. Thanks again to Chief Nursing Officer at Fresenius Medical Care North America, Kathleen Belmont, as well as kidney transplant recipient and current kidney care advocate, Maria Jimenez, for giving us good information during this National Kidney Awareness Month. Don't go away. We're heading to Camp Cadet next. 
Next on Special Edition, we're heading to Camp Cadet. And every troop does have their own Camp Cadet. Troop Inns is coming up from July 17th to the 22nd, and their registration deadline is quickly approaching. We'll learn more from Master Trooper Deanna Pekanski. She is with Troop P. Wilkesbury. Theirs coming up at the end of the summer. Our camp is held up in Whitehaven at the YMCA camp. This year it's July 31st through August 5th. So they come up on a Sunday and they're there and they stay overnight. They sleep in cabins there and graduation is held on Friday, August 5th. Now, when we're talking about Camp Cadet, this year you actually have upped the age group. Is that correct? Our camp hasn't. We're still doing 12-year-old to 15-year-old boys and girls. Some of the junior counselors that we allow to come back to help out with the new kids coming in each year might be 16. So they're going to be allowed to come back and help us with the campers coming for the first time. But our camp has always been 12-year-old to 15-year-old. You are out for the past two years due to COVID. Yes, we missed in 2020 and 2021. We didn't have camp. So there was a void there. So we're hoping to get the word out, let people know that, yes, we are having camp again. Ours is at the end of the summer. But we have it out. We're taking applications and I'm going to extend the deadline to accept the applications because some people, I think, still aren't quite sure that we're doing camp this year. And when will that deadline be until? I think I'm going to leave it go until like the end of May. Usually I want the applications back by March 31st, but I'm going to have it done until at least April, probably into May. Now, when we're talking about Camp Cadet, for anyone who may not know what goes on there, give us an overview. Well, it's kind of like a mini course of what we get in the academy. We have them come in. They're responsible for keeping their cabins clean, keeping their beds made, keeping track of their supplies. We have guest speakers come in. They get to see what we do as troopers in the academy, what we do on the job. We have CERT team come in. We have the helicopters. One of the troopers with his dog, whether it be a bomb dog, a drug dog, will come in. We have um, senators come in and guest speak and Kids get to ask us different things about our job, why we got into it, what we like about it, things like that. And we also have speakers from the outside come in from the game commission, all different things just to give kids an idea. If they think they're interested in being a trooper, but then, you know, maybe not, they could also go into the game commission, liquor control enforcement, different things like that. So there's different jobs. We give them a, a broad range. Do you have any prerequisites as far as the campers are concerned that they may need to meet certain requirements? Well, we want them to know that they do run like we do when we're in the academy. We do calisthenics. We get up early in the morning. They're responsible for getting up. They have to keep their rooms clean. Um, it is free. There's no charge for the campers. All they have to do is bring their clothes that they wear you know, on a daily basis and toiletries, things like that. But camp is free for them and all the food is included and the different things that we do. We have activities there. There's rock climbing. They swim in a pond. Different activities that the Y puts on. So everything's included. Cell phones? No cell phones. Okay, that's a good thing you brought that up. That's one of the things they cannot have. No cell phones, no video games, no candy. We don't give them sugar while they're there. No jewelry, no watches, no alarm clocks. No makeup for the girls. That's one. That's our some of our rules that we have at our true P camp cadet. It's better to know before they go because it's a different mindset than they're probably used to in their day to day lives. Yes, we and we let them know about that, and sometimes we let them know, hey, when you come here, we are going to check bags because 
you know, kids are kids and sometimes they try to sneak things in. And if we find them, we just take them and give them back to them at the end of the week. But second day in, maybe third day, they're like, yeah, it's not that bad not having my cell phone or my video game because we keep them busy. They have plenty of activities. They go to bed and we get them up real early in the morning and then they're busy all day. So they're usually tired and don't even miss it. And they're making friends as well with, you know, the people that they're in the cabins with. Well, one more time, give us all the information that anyone would need to know about Camp Cadet. True P Camp Cadet. They can go on www.campcadetonline.com. They can look for True P. They can get the information on there. The application is on there. They can print out or they can email myself at D-P-I-E-K-A-N-F-K-I at PA.gov. And when they fill out their application, they get a letter in the mail. I Usually it would be April. It might be in May now because I'm going to extend the deadline. And we'll go over all kinds of information, what they need to bring, what they shouldn't bring, fill out paperwork. They fill out medical paperwork and they can let us know, you know, are they still interested or are they not interested? And then they'll get their paperwork for their date to come into camp in a time. And we should also let our listeners know Troop P takes in what area? We take in Luzerne County, Wyoming County, Bradford County and Sullivan County. Thanks again, Master Trooper Deanna Pekanski with Troop P. Wilkesbury and their Camp Cadet. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T Mobile.com.